Today's message is entitled, The Coming of the Lawless One. And if you were here last week, if you were alive in the first century, you may have thought this is the Roman emperor. It may have been Claudius or Caligula or Nero or one of the others. But if you look at the definition of history, I don't believe it could have been those guys. I believe it's yet a future individual who is going to come to power. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, your Kindles, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's begin reading and studying together in verse 8. The Bible says, and then the lawless one, some of your translations will say wicked, and then the lawless wicked one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and will bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I think there are a couple of things that jump off the page from verse 8 about the lawless one that you and I can recognize. First of all, it is certain that this lawless one will be revealed when the Holy Spirit removes his restraint. Again, if you were here last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit being that check in our spirit. And then for the entire earth, how the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. Can you imagine the evil and chaos that would be pervasive in the world in which we live without the restrainer doing his job? But there's going to come a moment where the restrainer will no longer restrain and the demonic and all kinds of things will begin to happen during what we understand is the great tribulation time. But there's a second thing that we need to understand. There's also good news that the lawless one one day is going to be destroyed by the power of Jesus when he comes and arrives at the second coming of Christ. Now you think back in the first century, where did Paul get this from? Well, I happen to believe he was being uh, uh, given through the words of the Holy Spirit, words to write down, and we have this second letter to the church at Thessalonica. But I also believe he used the Old Testament and some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Notice with me in the book of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. There's still some ambiguity there that we really don't understand maybe what Isaiah was talking about. But Paul is helping to sort of help us clearly understand what may happen in the future. Because about 800 years after Isaiah wrote those words, the apostle John in exile on the island of Patmos wrote Revelation, the revelation of Jesus. Notice with me in chapter 19, verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. That's that beautiful passage of Scripture that illustrates that we will come back with Jesus on milky white stallions and Christ will open up his mouth and the Antichrist will be defeated. So again, as the first century Thessalonians were hearing these words, I'm sure it was very overwhelming. So here we are 20 centuries later. Please know that this period is of a predetermined time that will pass before the prophecy of Isaiah 11 and Revelation 19 come to pass. Okay, pastor, that's great, but what about right now? In the present, I need something. Well, I believe from this, we can be told and taught that you and I need to be equipped with a spiritual armor so that we can win these day-by-day -day attacks of the enemy. You're here today, either on campus or online, and 
more than likely you're going through something. There's something that's out of the ordinary. It's not your normal routine. Maybe, maybe it's with our kids, or maybe it's with our grandkids, or maybe it's with our parents. We don't, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that you and I need to learn how to take the armor that is at our disposal so that you and I can combat the enemy day by day, which leads us into verse 9. Prophetically, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Again, the restrainer is no longer active. The demonic and all that is associated with demons and Satan and the Antichrist will come with power, false signs, and wonders. And there's going to be a lot of people that are deceived. There will be individuals because of the methodology of Satan, and he's doing these false miracles that they will be duped and they will be deceived. John MacArthur said, not all miracles are from God. Devils can perform with a magical sleight of hand. A true miracle comes from a divine power, while false miracles may come from a supernatural power. I want us to think the book of Exodus, and there is Charleston Heston and Yul Brynner in the movie The Ten Commandments, and then the magicians of Pharaoh's court came out. And you remember how Moses had thrown down his staff and it became a snake, and then the magicians did the same thing, and then the, the, the snake that, that Moses had thrown down with his staff gobbled up the snakes of the magician's court. That's how the enemy is going to try to deceive people today. He's going to, by the sleight of hand, almost like a magic trick with cards, try to get people to be deceived. Because as Christ is to God, so is the Antichrist to Satan. The Antichrist imitates the work of Christ as a sign. So what should you and I do today in 2022? Beware of counterfeits, where we see what is the true gospel and the gospel that can set us free, and then there's the cults that give us a counterfeit. And so many people, by the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people that are presently today involved in the counterfeit. It's what Satan offers now, but just wait till the restrainer no longer restrains. Well, pastor, what can we do? Well, we need to go to the Word of God. Look at Matthew 24 and 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. They will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray even possible, or if possible, even the elect. How are you in your study of God's Word today? Let me just pose a very practical question. And whether you're reading it on your iPhone or your iPad or some other kind of technology or your leather-bound Bible, I I think we should read it. I think we should study it. But even more, I think we should obey it. I I think there comes a time where we can't read this like a John Grisham novel, that we sort of get a, a feeling about it, and then it's gone, and we're on to the next. No, God's Word should be not only read and studied, but I need to obey it. When it tells me to do something, I do it. When it tells me not to do something, I don't do it. But we live in a culture today that says, question everything. Did God really say, we go back all the way to the garden. Did God really say not to do this? Did God really say not to do that? Well, if his word says to do it, we do it. If God's word says not to do it, then we don't do it. So we're living in a society today with social media and, and, and online presence and, and everything that we have at our disposal. There's great signs and wonders. And if you don't know your Bible, even the elect 
could be led astray. We could find ourselves duped and deceived by the devil. How will he do that? Look at verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, those who are lost, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. A wicked deception. Individuals will come into my office and the offices of our pastors, and they come under the premise, I need counseling. I need someone to help me in my situation that I'm going through. And a lot of times, these are very simple questions they ask that can be answered by God's Word, but a lot of times, they don't want the Word of God. They don't want the truth. They want our hands to be held, and we give them the stamp of approval for their sin. Now, let me tell you something. As long as I get to be your pastor, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to bring them back to what God's Word says. I'm going to hire staff members who believe the same. This is what the Bible says about this situation. This is what the Bible says about what's going on in your life. And I believe as long as we adhere to this, I know that sounds old-fashioned. I know it sounds antiquated. But it's worked for generations. So why would we begin to embrace false prophets and false Christs and false teachers to help to maybe make our feelings feel just a little bit better? I pray that we would never do so. I pray that we would always stand on God's Word. You ever wondered why, and again, I'm, I'm speaking to a specific group of folks, that, that your life maybe hasn't turned out the way that you wanted it to turn out because there's been bad choice after bad decision over and over again. If you aren't saved, you have what we call zero spiritual discernment. So only decisions that are made by you, and if you're not saved, you're making them in the flesh. You're making them with your emotions. Oftentimes, people will walk into my office and they go, well, I feel this, thus this is my action. Or I feel that, and that's the reason why I do that. Your feelings will betray you. Your emotions will betray you. So that's why we have to have some foundation. We have to have some roots. We have to have some grounding in the Word of God, which leads us to verse 11. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. Again, some of your translations will say error so that they may believe what is false. Because sometimes I just scratch my head and go, how can they believe that? Why are they in that cult? Why are they living their life that way? Because there are moments when we have strong delusion based on our flesh, but one day God will send His strong delusion so that they'll believe what is false. So instead of loving the truth, they love the lie. And can I be quite honest with you? There's a lot of folks that don't have to even have delusion in order to believe it that way because they find themselves deceived. And I think our, our generation now is, is about to reap the whirlwind because God is granting to us what we've always wanted. Now you say, well, Joel, I'm a believer. I don't want all this nonsense that's going on in America, but it rains on the just and the unjust. It affects us all. Bad laws that are passed even affect God's people, even though they're bad laws. Supreme Court decisions, local decisions made that are ordinances in our own city. Please understand, it affects us all. So if you find yourself today involved in known, wicked, willful sin, be careful of what you ask for. You just might get it. And one day God will send strong delusion and people will believe the lie. But I believe people are believing it today. I think the book of Romans chapter 1 bears this out. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
You see, at one time, maybe we believed the Bible, but then we got educated. We became an academic, and we hang our degrees on our wall, and we claim to be wise, but we become fools. I no longer believe in creation. I don't believe what the Bible says about that. I, I don't believe a big fish fall, uh, swallowed Jonah. I, 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 I don't believe all that, that. Those are fairy tales and children's stories. But are they the truth? that can set people free by helping them to understand the progression of Almighty God from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation? Absolutely. So let us stop claiming to be wise and becoming foolish. Let us learn how to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ through His Word. Just a few verses later in that same Romans chapter 1, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Have you done that? Have there been moments in your life where there was such great temptation that you exchanged the truth about God for a lie and then you did what? And then you worshiped and served the creature yourself rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, sometimes our greatest deception is not by others influencing us. It's by what we believe ourselves. It's by what we do. It's by what we say. It's by what we read. Again, God's Word progressively teaches us through this Thessalonian letter. Look at verse 12. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, the strong delusion that God gives is not out of his generosity, it's out of his judgment. And people are, are, are getting what they want, and it becomes what they deserve because of that delusion. And since they will not believe the truth, God allows them to believe the lie. I've told you before, I prayed for my daddy for a lot of years. My mother prayed for him for 25 plus years. And then my dad received Jesus Christ in our living room floor. And then just a week or so later, I baptized him. But there were moments, and I'm just going to be quite honest with you. I, I wondered, I, is my daddy ever going to be saved? I can remember a lot of nights in my childhood that I'd go to bed after a Wednesday night RAs or I'd go to bed after a Sunday night worship service, and I knew that if my daddy died, he'd go to hell. That would, that would trouble me, and I didn't understand why he wouldn't come to church with us. I, I didn't understand why he wouldn't be saved since they will not believe the truth, God allows them to believe the great lie. And some of us today, maybe watching from home or here on campus, maybe somebody hurt you in your past. Maybe, maybe a church didn't quite treat you right or, or something is happening. So therefore, you, you've put up this barrier. You, you, you've, put up, you've put up a wall. I want to tell you that, that that's part of the enemy's way of trying to keep you out of where you're supposed to be. And maybe it's time to come home. Maybe you're that prodigal son. You're that prodigal daughter that the book of Luke talks about. And it's time to come running home to the mercy seat. Now, if you've read through First and Second Thessalonians, you know that sometimes Paul will be writing something. He has his train of thought, and man, everything's just flowing. And it's almost as if either someone writing is his amanuensis or he was writing it his own hand writing the letter someone walks into the room and gets him distracted and he can't remember what he was writing next and then he writes something else that's sort of what happens between verse 12 and 13 notice it with me he says but we ought always to give thanks to God for you he's just been talking about a great delusion 
He's just been talking about these individuals who won't be saved, and then once again he addresses the Thessalonians. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. I think Paul was just a wise communicator. He was giving them hard truth in verses 8 through 12, and now he's trying to lighten it up a little bit. What is he doing? He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to encourage these Thessalonian believers. Why? Because God had saved the Thessalonians. But he wanted to remind them that before they chose God, he chose them. John writes about this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, that we love because he first loved us. See, my, my love for Joe would not be what it could be if I didn't love Jesus first. Joe could not love me the way that she's supposed to love me if she didn't love Jesus first. See, Jesus shows us a perfect kind of love. Now, we may try to attain it, but our love's never going to be perfect. But my friend, that we can shoot for it. And the way that we love one another, the way that we love God is that we recognize that he first loved us. So what's Paul doing? He's trying to make a distinction now between those who are saved Thessalonians and those who do not know the Lord. Notice verse 14. So to this he calls you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the call for this salvation comes through the gospel, the gospel that Paul preached. And he shares the gospel in any number of passages, but I think the most simplest way he shared it was to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, where he simply says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And see, when you and I get saved, we obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's cool news, amen? We receive the glory of Christ upon our lives, not so that we can pound our chest and brag about it and say, hey, look at me. But what we do is we say, hey, everybody, look at him. Look what Jesus has done in my life. And as I close, he says in verse 15, so then brothers, stand firm. Some of your translations will say stand fast. That stand fast is almost like a military term or phrase. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, again, traditions here are not secular made man traditions. Absolutely not. He was talking about apostolic traditions, the doctrines that were delivered by the apostle to the Thessalonians. So how do we stand fast? Some of us were raised in church, and we had the benefit of being saved early. Some of us waited a few years, and as a teenager, we got saved. Others have waited in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. But wherever age we were, when we said yes to Jesus, we need to be grounded. And we need to learn how to stand fast. So Paul was telling the Thessalonians in the first century, bad times are coming, tribulation is coming. You better know what you believe. You better learn how to stand fast. You better learn how to stand firm. Well, here I am 2,000 years later telling it to you telling it to me, we better know how to stand fast. Can you imagine churches in the Ukraine? Their pastor, maybe a few weeks ago, said, now guys, there's some rumblings. The Russians may be coming. We need to get ready. We need to get prepared. 
I assure you that when they crossed that border and those missiles and those bombs and those bullets and everything began to happen, I'm sure like all of us, they were terrified and scared. But a lot of the Ukrainians are standing fast. They're standing firm. Pictures of President Zelensky in foxholes with the soldiers trying to hold off the Russians. Now, I know that's from a military mindset, but what about us who are in spiritual warfare? Are we willing to stand firm? Are we willing to stand fast? I really believe that our generation could could see such tumultuous change in even how we do things, not just in the church, but in our nation. I think there's a movement afoot in a lot of different places to try to tear down what our founding fathers gave to us over 240 years ago. And I don't think we would be better for it. I think we would be the worse for it. But yet, what will we do that if that which is secular and political collapses around us, you and I don't have to collapse. We can stand firm in Jesus. No matter what's swirling around us and what's going on around us, if only we would find our hope and our assurance in the Word of God. Verses 16 and 17, Paul closes with a benediction. It's beautiful. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He's saying, my Thessalonian brothers and sisters, what I have taught to you, take it into your heart and stand fast. You have the comfort of knowing that you are saved. You've been washed in the blood. Stand firm and stand fast. No matter what the Roman government does, no matter what the Roman Empire may do, because please understand, from our history, we know that about 20 years later, maybe even sooner than that, that the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem. A lot of things happened. A lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. And I'm sure that if these Thessalonians were not grounded in the Word, they thought it was the end of the world. But it wasn't. It was the end of Israel. But it wasn't the end of the world. You and I today have the great benefit of seeing some of the end from the beginning. I pray that we will learn how to stand firm and stand fast.